BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, we got to get down to business. You're damn right we do, Bob Diver. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show for Friday, September 4th is just moments away. But before we get any further we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast unions like the international brotherhood of electrical workers local nine their sponsors as well as the international union of operating engineers local 150 thanks unions you're awesome if you're in a union or you own a business and you listen to this show and you're like boy i'd like those two weird guys to plug my business well these two weird guys would love to plug your business send an email bennyjshow at gmail.com b-e-n-n-y the letter j show at gmail.com send it our way and we will forward it to whoever uh needs to see that to make you a sponsor and also hey we're not that weird all right well we're kind of weird all right ben we have a song of the day request this is uh you should know this song i got a feeling you forgot it but you should know this. This goes back to our WCU later days. The days, well, you know, when we were on radio. Your song of the day comes from Jim. What's going on, Jim? Thank you so much for the song request. Your song of the day for Friday, September 4th, Rush, Working Man. 
Oh, that's the one that Bob Ryder loves. Yes, yes, right? it is. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, man. Oh, I used to play that. Then they would laugh at me because I didn't know it. <laughs> what, a, what a loser. Oh, I miss uh, those days. Uh, yeah, working man. It goes like this. Whoa, whoa, a new low. Whoa, whoa. All right, that's not it at all. What do you that have a song? Girardi. Do you have a song of the day? Uh, well, I, well, I have. Yeah, I've been thinking about the Beatles. We all live in a yellow submarine. D, why don't you sing uh, "Working Man" now for Rush by Rush, so we know what it is. Go. They call him the Working Man. That's it. That is it. Whoa! Very good. Very good. The Ben Jarowski Show starts now. Friday, September 4th, and live from my apartment and Ben's attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. And now your host... They call him the working man? <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Donnie Trump Lied Friday. And here's why. So I'll set you the scene. It's 1245. Heading for the subway home. Sorry, got that wrong. 1245, not PM as in the spinner song, but AM as in 1245 in the morning. I'm quieting down for the evening, preparing to spend another two hours up late reading. I'm doing my yoga for spiritual peace. I'm doing doggy down, whatever they call it. Downward Mm. dog. Oh, yeah. Sorry, man. Mm. My wife breaks the tranquility to tell me, did you see Trump called soldiers who were killed in war losers? Boom. Yoga tranquility over. I must investigate. Over to my phone. I run my new phone. I might add. And I text Trump. Losers, And sure enough, up pops on the screen several stories about the latest Trump scandal. Turns out Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic has written a story quoting several unnamed sources saying that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, that Donald Trump referred to American Marines who died in World War One as, quote, losers and, quote, suckers. Well, this goes back to an event that took place in 2018 when Donald Trump cancels his appearance at a cemetery in France because of the rain. Remember that day, the rain. The White House said the decision was taken because of rain and fog. But come on, we all know he didn't want to go in the rain because he didn't want to mess up his hair. That's what the article said. The article goes on to quote Trump, quote, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. The report said he referred to more than 1,800 Marines who died there. He called them suckers for getting killed. But wait, there's more. The Atlantic may have been the first to report the allegation about Trump's comments on the cemetery visit, but two sources confirmed some of Trump's remarks to the Associated Press. A senior Defense Department official with firsthand knowledge of the events and a senior U.S. Marine Corps officer who was told about Trump's comment. Now, this is big because Trump has his thing that he loves soldiers. He loves soldiers almost as he loves cops. In reality, I don't think he loves anyone but himself. But he knows that if he professes his love for soldiers and cops, they will be his loyal voters forever. 
For the other side, I turned to Fox. Where else? They had a headline. While I'm reading all these stories talking about what, what Jeffrey Goldberg in Atlantic had written, Fox's headline is basically, Tony didn't do it. They don't even waste the time, like, like verifying it, you know, or repeat. It's all about the whole story is written in terms of a denial, an angry denial from one Donald Trump. They go right to his defense. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, it's hard to lose an election when half the media is in your hip pocket. Anyway, Donnie Trump says it's a lie. He said that anyone who is to such suggest even remotely suggest that he would say anything like that is a low life and a liar. And he said, quote, I would be willing to swear on anything that I never said that about our fallen heroes. There is nobody that respects them more. For further verification, Fox turned to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. How about that, Dave? There you go. She's outraged, too. She says it's a lie. So my question is, is it a lie? Or did President Trump really say it? Let's sift through the evidence, okay, folks? On the one hand, Donald Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders are correct. There are no names in the story. It's all unattributed quotes. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of unattributed quotes. On the other hand, how to put this, Donald John Trump is not known for telling the truth. Last I looked, he had over 20,000 lies since he took office. The Washington Post as a reporter whose full-time job is tracking those lies. And for that matter, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not exactly George Washington in the cherry tree when it comes to telling the truth. Plus, let's face it. Even MAGA nation must realize it does sound like the kind of thing Donald Trump would say. I mean, this is a guy who could have fought the Vietnam War. He had his chance, but he sat it out because his toe hurt. Sorry, bone spurs. I get it mixed up. I think Newt Gingrich had the hurt toe. Anyway, doesn't matter. He sat it out. So, yes, the notion of sacrificing himself for a larger good like our nation is a notion that Donnie Trump has never displayed once in his life. MAGA, you have to admit this. When it comes to Donald Trump, it's all about Donald Trump. Plus, he was really mad at the time in 2018 when he should have gone to that cemetery. He was really sour. And I could just see him throwing that temper tantrum. Saying, like a little kid. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And plus, we all know he's got this weird obsession with his hair. He spends hours with that comb over. Everybody knows you're bald, Trump. Just let it go. Between the corset that is like bringing the stomach in and the pills he takes to handle his flatulence, he's always trying to cover something. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, I got to say, the Trump bald life ain't bad, man. Takes a, <laughs> gives you a lot more time in the day, you know? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say something right now. You see Dr. D doing comb overs? No. Okay. Donald Trump with that weird coma. D, you know it. You could just see him. I already spent an hour on my hair. That's my Donald Trump invitation. Mm. You know, so uh, I'm going to have to weigh in on this one, D, having sifted through the evidence. Oh, yeah. I believe he said it, and I believe he's lying when he now says he didn't say it. But here's the thing. I don't know why he's so upset about the truth coming out. As I understand it from listening to Donald Trump supporters, the reason they love Trump so much is because he speaks his mind. If he wants to say he feels free to grab women by the p 
I won't say it. Thank you. He says it. If he wants to call countries in Africa shithole countries, he says it. If he wants to throw paper towels at Puerto Ricans, he does it. That's why MAGA loves him so much. Finally, a politician who doesn't care about being politically correct. Isn't that what they always say about Donnie Trump? He's not politically correct. He says what he thinks. Well, I can't think of anything more politically incorrect than saying that the people who made the ultimate sacrifice for their country are losers. So that's why I know that Donald Trump said it. And here's the thing. If they came out with a recording tomorrow in which you heard Donald Trump saying, if they came out with a recording tomorrow that proved Trump was lying today, that proved Sarah Huckabee Sanders was lying today, MAGA Nation would still vote for him. And that's the truth. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein is in here. She's all fired up. Man, she is ready to talk. There's a story that came out uh, in the New York Times today about Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon and secret tapes. You want to know what presidents say when no one, this is so perfect. Presidents say all kinds of horrific things when they don't think anyone's listening. In the case of Nick Richard Nixon, he taped everything. And now finally the truth is coming out about some of the things he said about Indians, uh, people from India, I should say. So, of course, Donald Trump said it. He just didn't think anybody would bring it to the public's attention. Anyway, Ramana Hussein will Ramana, be here. Ramana, Ramana, <laughs> Ramana. I'm fired up. Hand me that bottle. Yeah. Oh, I love it when you do that sound. Uh, <laughs> you can see he's fired up late. It's Friday, but he's ready to go. In the, he's ready to work the whole weekend. That's right. The man from Alton. <laughs> the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, Ben Jarofsky, we need to convince everyone listening right now to download this. Are you okay? Everything's good? I just, the water went down the wrong way. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hate when that happens, that don't you? Not good podcasting. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, we got to convince everyone listening right now to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. That's right. Like we always do every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning at 5 a.m. Available at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, brand new Benny J one-on-one interviews with guests. What are you doing over there? I'm uh, drinking water. (laughs) <laughs> Very loudly. Whatever. <laughs> let's let's uh, bring that uh, water drinking down to about a four. All right. Uh, how about our Saturday interview? It's the return of Ace Attorney, Legal Eagle, the one, the only, Jim Coogan. Ben sat down and talked with Jim and talked all things Donald Trump legal issues. So, yes, it was a long podcast. Ben Jarofsky, uh, give everybody a little sample of what you talked about with Jim Coogan. Well, Jim Coogan uh, is our uh, resident attorney. Uh, Every podcast must have one. The guy's freaking smart, really smart. And he took the deep dive, fascinating stuff on uh, Michael Flynn, the Michael Flynn case, uh, on Donald Trump's 
litigation with Stormy Daniels. That was actually uh, kind of amusing. Uh, he talked about le- uh, the ongoing like legal chess game, if you will, uh, between Donald Trump and his lawyers and um, Stormy Daniels lawyers. Look, like Stormy won the last round, so I love that. Uh, and uh, what else did he talk about? Oh, he talked about William Barr. Really, a lot of what he has to say is, uh, is how William Barr is perverting the law uh, in order to act as a flunky for Donald Trump. And we talked, they talked about uh, the advice that Donald Trump gave, unbelievable advice uh, to uh, people in North Carolina to vote twice. Wow. Uh, and how is that legal? Uh, so uh, fascinating uh, and insightful conversation with Jim Coogan, all, all sorts of, oh, and of course, uh, the deep dive on his the efforts to get his uh, Trump to uh, release his income tax statements. Uh, that's a fascinating story. Donald Trump will use every avenue available to delay litigation against himself. I mean, every appeal he can do. And this is a man who has basically unlimited mon- money to hire lawyers uh, to do his dirty work. And it's just so interesting because when it comes to other uh, other people, he's like ready to shoot him there. Just shoot him right now. Just like he makes an instant judgment that, oh, he did it wrong, shoot him. Uh, but when it comes to himself, uh, you know, he's, every legality, every technicality, uh, anything he can to drag it on forever. Uh, and uh, that is the case definitely with the uh, tax returns. So, yeah, lots of interesting stuff. And at the very end, we get into um, uh, what uh, Jim Coogan expects from Kyle Rittenhouse's attorneys uh, in terms of their defense. So interesting legal conversation with the great Jim Coogan. All right. That's our Saturday interview available at 5 a.m. What about Sunday? Well, Sunday, we welcome a new guest to the program, Mr. Charlie Meyerson. Ben, what will you be talking about with Charlie Meyerson? That may be, may be familiar to some of our uh, listeners of the baby boomer uh, persuasion. Young Charlie Meyerson uh, was for many years the uh, newsman at uh, WXRT. I will not do my WXRT uh, imitation. I'll spare you that rendition. Thank you. Uh, may <laughs> still have a shot at work in there. <laughs> I know. I killed it for you. It'd be easy. I'm so sorry. Be easy. Give the kid a chance, all right? It's not his fault. Uh, WXRT. So WXRT. I'm Lynn Bramer. Uh, here's Sting. They love <laughs> well, Sting on that station. I, I tried, D. I tried. Open window. I tried. I tried. You know. Hey, here's Peter Gabriel, huh? How about that? You haven't heard that on this station, huh? Peter Gabriel. <laughs> there goes that job. Boom. Open window. Throw out job. I tried. I was going to say something really nice about WXRT. Uh, here's, no, like, here's an obscure band, My Morning Jacket. Oh, boy, we love that group, too. <laughs> what, you know what other groups they love? My Morning Jacket. They love Wilco. Oh, yeah. They, they love, love Wilco. They love Wilco. You know, it's, it's something about, God, we love Wilco. We're just going to play more Wilco. <laughs> uh, coming up in the hour, we got Sting, Peter Gabriel, Wilco, My Morning Jacket, a little bit of Sting. How about the police, huh? And... <laughs> A little more my morning jacket. Lynn Bramer here. WXRT. Turn it up. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Ladies and gentlemen, don't say I didn't try. I was saying that I was saying I wasn't going to say anything about WXRT. I really tried, but he can't help himself. 
I've heard that routine a million times. It gets to me every time I hear it. When we, ah, the good old days, we would be driving home. And I got to tell you right now, Dr. D would put on that classic rock station and be rocking out. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Knows his rock and roll. He knows his uh, Peter Gabriel. I don't even know one song by Peter Gabriel. Damn. Sledgehammer. Come on, man. I don't even know what Sledgehammer Come on, is. Man. Man. Sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sledgehammer is the one that goes, Sledgehammer, GG. Sort of. It easy. Uh, That's slow ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like slow ride. Does uh, Peter Gabriel sing slow ride? No. Oh. I think no. that's Foghat. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about Peter Gabriel, ladies and gentlemen. I just know that WXRT loves Peter Gabriel. <laughs> uh, how about anyway. Genesis, huh? Little Genesis. How about that, huh? <laughs> and followed by the police in Sting. <laughs> All right, but Charlie Myerson, that's our Sunday morning interview, available at 5 a.m. Does he like the police? Maybe. Uh, He has to. If you work at XRT, they make you sign a pledge. I love Sting, okay? (laughs) I love him. All right. So that's Sunday morning and our Monday morning interview, a guest that really needs no introduction here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Around here, we call her Governor Gates. Yes, that's right. SDG. The one, the only, Stacy Davis Gates. Ben, what's on your mind with Stacy? Well, you know, I have not done the interview yet with SDG, Stacy Davis Gates. Uh, that interview will be done around ooh, approximately hmm, uh, quarter to five this afternoon. Uh, but uh, I can guarantee that she'll be honest. And um, that uh, we'll probably, oh gosh, we'll be talking Kenosha, police, opening up schools. You know, it's on my mind. This is something that's on my mind right now. The, uh, the way in which the teachers union is depicted. And this is not just Chicago. This is across the country. Uh, and even the liberal New York Times, I saw this article in yesterday's New York Times, and they were talking about the only impediment that Mayor de Blasio has to opening the schools right now is the powerful teachers union. They always say like the powerful teachers union, you know, like this, this is huge force of nasty teachers who are keeping mayors from doing good for humanity that's like a a narrative that is prevalent throughout the, i've noticed this it's like oh i was reading the new york times i know that sometimes the tribune got this they got this weird thing about the teachers union they they just don't like the teachers union or they think you're too mean and but i was like well that's just a chicago thing but no d there it is and i think it is i've said this many times i think most teachers are women and when women get together and flex their muscles, people find that threatening. And so they just they turn on the teachers. I think there's more hostility toward the teachers union than there is toward the police union. Well, they're just saying a lot. I'm trying to think of one. I know the police union has tremendous supporters uh, in MAGA country. I'm trying to think of anybody other than me that like really supports the teachers union. And, you know, it's it's kind of like liberals love to bash the teachers union. So I'm, I think I'm going to ask Stacey about that public perception. And I'm, I'm going to ask her about public perception toward her. So many people I know, they're like, Ben, you don't know the real Stacey Davis Gates. Ben, you, you're you too nice to Stacey Davis Gates. I'm going to ask her about that, D. I'm going to ask her about that public perception about Stacey 
Davis Gates. So there you are. That's our weekend Benny J bonus interview lineup Saturday, Jim Coogan, Sunday, Charlie Meyerson, and Monday, the real Stacy Davis Gates. Available at 5 a.m. those days at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, YouTubers, and live stream chatters. Go download those interviews. Okay, let's oh, do. Wait, before you do that, what? I forgot to tell you Tuesday morning. Uh, we're going to do, uh, I forgot to tell you this, I just booked it, one-on-one with Sting. Oh, uh, my goodness. <laughs> Sting, we're going to talk yoga positions. That's uh, funny, because I, I, I forgot to tell you this, on Wednesday, I booked Peter Gabriel, so. <laughs> oh, my God. And Thursday, Wilco will be in the studio. Hey God, Wilco. Love him. Oh, I missed that impression. Haven't done that one in a while. I know that's um, the the daughter in Shit's Creek. I got Dennis. Come on, Wilco. By the way, WXRT. Hey, I'm available. You know, I can do some part time work. Come on, hire a guy. (laughs) I love those bands. He loves. Okay, can I just say this XRT? Man, does he love Wilco. This guy's got a Wilco tattoo. Yeah, I love Wilco. Stop talking about my Wilco tattoo. Let's do the local news. First up, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Ben, the governor may have a big problem on his hands. And you know what they say about big problems, don't you? Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. Oh, ain't that the truth? That is so true. Okay, so true, D. As you may know, Governor Pritzker's fair tax initiative will be on the November ballot. The Illinois fair tax is a proposed amendment to the Illinois state constitution that would change the state income tax system from a flat tax to a graduated income tax. But leave it to a billionaire conservative to try and foil a billionaire liberal's plans. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Ricky P. Rick Pearson. Ken Griffin, Kenny G, Illinois' richest person. (laughs) He's Illinois' richest person, and he's donated $20 million to a business group fighting Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker's push for voters to approve a proposed state constitutional amendment that would shift Illinois' flat rate income tax to a graduated rate system. Damn you, billionaire conservatives. (laughs) The The move by Kenny G sets up a battle among billionaires over the fate of the proposed tax amendment. Pritzker has already pumped $56.5 million into the Vote Yes for Fairness political fund. And prior to Griffin's contribution, the Anti-Amendment Coalition had received $950,000 in donations. These included $100,000 apiece from a trust run by real estate mogul Sam Zell, McNeil Automotive Products of Bolingbrook, which produces WeatherTech products, Craig Duchoso Seaside, D U C H O S S. Oh my. Duchiswa. I would have never got that right. I see you're a big horse racing fan. Uh, he's the guy who his family owned Arlington. Because, you know, I'm a reformed gambler, so I know a little too much about the Arlington racetrack, Dave. But anyway, continue with the Craig Duchiswa, who sounds like a Duchi bag, uh, who runs. Oh <laughs> D. Are you from Paris? Oh my God, that 
The secret's French out. French accent was so good. He runs the diversified Duchessois group. And Jay Bergman, president of Hinsdale-based Petco Petroleum Corporation. Opponents contend that the graduated tax would unfairly hit businesses and business people who pay taxes through personal income tax rates. They also contend that higher tax rates eventually would creep down into lower tax brackets. Those who are for the tax, well, for the fair tax, argue it would increase taxes on those making more than $250,000, meaning 97% of taxpayers would pay no more or less than they do now. Both the pro and anti-amendment forces are on the airwaves across the state. I'm sure you've seen them all over your television and computer ad nauseum by now. It is expected to be the most expensive ballot proposition debate in Illinois history and the costliest race on the fall ballot. Ben, answer me this. Why is a guy who uh, has enough money to spend $20 million on stupid commercials so concerned about paying more in taxes? Uh, excellent question. And you got to look at that 20 million as an investment in lower taxes for him. Now, I don't have his uh, financial statements in front of me. D. By the way, in that Tribune story, does it say how much uh, Kenny G is worth? Does it say anywhere there? Like how much uh, he brought in last year? I mean, just it doesn't say they just say he's the richest man in Illinois. So it doesn't say how much he made last year. Come on, Tribune. Well, they may have a game. I mean, that's the whole thing. So let's say he, oh God, I need dad bits for this. Where I'm about to go is math country. And I'm a little wobbly on math. Let's say he's worth $10 billion. I'm I'm sure he's worth $10 billion. So what's 20 million? What percent of 20 million is 10 billion? Huh, D? Help me out there. Uh (laughs) Let's make it easy. Let's say he's worth $2 billion. What percent of 2 billion is 20 million? Come on, man. I think it's 1%, but I can't say for certain because I suffer from dyslexia. The point is, it's a small portion. I'm really irritated at you, Tribune, for not doing the work for me and putting it in there. So if he puts 1% of what his net worth is to kill the income tax, he's going to save all extra money he would have to pay over the next how many years in income taxes. So it's an investment of paying less in taxes. Plus... Kenny Griffin is an ally with Bruce Rauner in this sort of starved government philosophy of the Republican Party, this insane attitude they have that the best way uh, to get government in shape is to kill it. Hmm. Uh, That was sort of Bruce Rauner's practicing theory when he ran the state of Illinois for four years uh, and all a part of a larger effort to also destroy unions and collective bargaining rights of workers. The less power workers have, the more power bosses have. Uh, So you can view this Kenny Griffin investment of $20 million as just that, an investment into protecting what he owns. And the part that kills me is when just like people who should know better Act as though there's a point to what Ken Griffin says. My old friend uh, Andy Shaw. I was. I, this is really still bugging me. Like for years, he was at the BGA. Before that, he was at Channel Seven. I've, I've been seeing Andy Shaw on TV forever. He's a nice guy, and but he wrote this essay for the Tribune. Andy, Andy, Andy. It was one of these essays where it was like, I can't sign on to the fair tax until we clean up ethics violations in the state of Illinois. Well, why would you make one thing contingent on the other? I mean, 
you still have to pay your obligations. And by the way, all the things that you think, say need to be cleaned up are already against the law. I always love pointing this out. Bribery is against the law. We don't need a new law saying that bribery is illegal. So it's not like we need new laws to govern the shady things that people do. Okay? It's like, I don't know what it is about the culture. I just think, I just think it goes beyond Illinois, by the way. I think it's human nature. People always try to get that extra edge. I mean, look at the man we elected president of the United States. He won't reveal his income taxes because he wasn't want people to know what kind of sleazy wheeling and dealing he's been going on with. So anyway, somehow or other, uh, Andy linked new laws governing ethical behavior by our politicians to the fair tax. Well, we can't have the fair tax unless we have these new laws. I'm like, with or without the new laws, we have to pay for government. We have obligations to pay for. We have past debt to retire. We have infrastructure needs. We have roads to repave. We have schools to finance. We have pensions to pay. Yeah, all those retired geezers. I know that Kenny Griffin and Sam Zell and Bruce Rauner want them just to live on oatmeal and mush. But you know, I kind of think that when we send a pension check to someone in a neighborhood, that's an investment in that neighborhood. But they don't want you to think that. They want you to turn, they want to turn you against a pensioner. You don't get a pension. You may not have $20 million to throw around like Kenny G, but it's easier for you to get mad at the pensioner than get mad at Kenny G. So yeah, Ken Griffin is going to send 20, spend $20 million to try to convince you that raising taxes on him means you're going to pay more taxes. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, listen, I've long since given up. I've long given up long ago on the notion that people will pay attention long enough to see to the bottom of any scam. I say this as a guy, I'm raising the white flag. 30 years of writing about TIFs and municipal financing scams in the city of Chicago that have benefited people like Kenny Griffin over everyone else. And somehow or other, that's like, we're supposed to believe that's an investment in us all. So here we have this fair tax proposal that would raise the rates on the highest earners in the state of Illinois and not raise the rate on the rest of us. And they're going to spend, Kenny Griffith's going to donate $20 million to put out commercials that are supposed to brainwash you into thinking that your taxes are going to go up. And when it's all over and when they win, and I do believe they will win, I do believe the Kenny G crowd will win. When they win, they will save so much on taxes and you suckers will pay more because the bottom line is this. The obligations are still there. Those roads have to be repaved. Those pensioners have to be have to pay be paid. Those everything. Think of everything that government funds, hospitals and prisons and schools and everything. Still got to have that obligation. It's just that. Kenny G proportionally will play less and you, you suckers and saps will pay more. And you, you know why I say it's going to win? Because the way the amendment process works, you need 60% of the voters to vote for the fair tax. And Bruce Rauner got 38, close to 39% of the vote uh, in the last election. I got to figure everybody who voted for Bruce Rauner 
is uh, going to vote against the fair tax. And then, you know, come on. Kenny G just kicked in $20 million, D. That's a lot of commercials. A lot of people who the fair tax would help would go, I can't vote for this. And then there's the guy who may have actually read Andy Shaw's column because, you know, Andy has a good point. Uh, I, I don't want Kenny Griffin, the richest man in the state of Illinois, to have to pay more in taxes until he clean up Illinois government. So, D, standing up for progressivity is generally behind the eight ball, as they say. And uh, But just to make sure, I don't even think they had to spend any money, by the way. They were already at 38% with the, the Ronner vote. I didn't think they'd spend a nickel. But just to make sure, young Kenneth is going to kick in $20 million. Did you do the math, D, and figure out what, what $20 million to Ken is is to you? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. See, see, XRT, if you had done the math and just come out and said it's a dollar to me, XRT would have been like, oh my God, this guy is really good. Well, this so is the good. next best thing to hiring Dan Biss. <laughs> Dan Biss, by the way, Dave, huge fan of Peter Gabriel. Oh, just tell you. And you know Sting. That, right? <laughs> anyway, Kenny G, man, just to make sure, you know you're going to win anyway, right? But just to make sure, I'm just going to kick in $20 million. That'll wake people up. Let them know I'm still here. Yeah, $20 million. That's nothing. That's like a dollar to Dennis. That's like going to Dunkin' Donuts for Dennis, which he does a lot. I go between two and six where the, where the coffee's cheaper. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. How much is it? I, how, how did I not know this? A dollar fifty cheaper. Whoa, hold on, guys. I'll see you, D. Uh, just put in some uh, Peter Gabriel. I'll be right back. Well, it's at 2. You still got a little time from 2 oh, until 6. It's one thirty. about 20 minutes to walk to the closest <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. All right. Uh, so there you are. You heard it here first on the Ben Jarofsky Show. The fair tax will not pass. Eh, nice try, JB. I'm yeah. not a perfect person. 60% is hard, Dave. was 50.1. I'd say, yeah, it'll pass. 60%, again, I'll repeat it, 39% of the people in the state of Illinois thought it would be a good idea to reelect Bruce Rauner. <laughs> We're not dealing with the brightest bulbs in a bunch day, okay? Well, I like Rauner. He was destroying government. Oh, I like him. Uh, uh, shout out to Kyle on the live stream chat. Kyle says, every time Ben simplifies Ken Griffin to Kenny G, I keep thinking, wait, the sexy sax guy from the 90s <laughs> is saying all of this disgusting stuff? I think that too. I do too. I do too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even have an image in my mind of what uh, Ken Griffin looks like. I kind of have a vague image of him. It requires a big Adam's apple. But I do have a strong image of what the sax player looks like. Don't you have an image of what the sax player looks oh, like? Oh, yeah. You? Big curly hair. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim on the live stream chat asks Is Ken Griffin richer than JB Pritzker? Yes. He's the richest man in the state. Uh, I, I wish I had the numbers. See, this is the trouble. Okay, can I just share this with you guys? Just a moment of confession. These are stories that appear on the Internet, and I never get a chance to read them because you know, I'm still reading newspapers. So every day, Dennis scoops me. Oh, did you see this Kenny Griffin story? No, I didn't see it. It wasn't in the paper. <laughs> it was on the Internet. Uh, so... I don't have, I, but Dennis said that uh, the, the article didn't even state how much he's worth anyway. So Frank, if you're out there, how much is Kenny G worth and how much did he make last year? That should have been in the lead. 
the freaking Tribune story. Yes, yeah. our host of a podcast on the internet <laughs> doesn't no, read so... the internet. It's embarrassing. My coworker, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Every day we have the same conversation. Every day. I go, that'll say, yeah, there's a story about Kenny uh, Griffin, Kenny G. I go, there is? I didn't see that in the newspaper. Um, it's on the internet. Ever heard of it? Oh, man. God damn, I got to start following Twitter or something. Uh, any website would be a great start. Um, <laughs> Frank asks, what if the fair tax passes? I wonder if Ben will eat crow. Man, I will eat so much crow. Can can we substitute Kentucky Fried Chicken for crow? Uh, I'll have a bucket of it, okay? And I will have. A, I will be so. Ha- I'm pushing for it, Frank. I'm pushing for it. Sixty percent is tough. Now maybe in a with a big turnout. Now I'm going to be on the positive side, D. Maybe with a big turnout for Democrats, they'll vote for it. But they got to overcome that notion that somehow or other raising taxes on the richest people in the state is raising taxes on the middle class and the poor people. And that that's the propaganda campaign uh, that the uh, Ken Griffin side is putting out. And that's really hard. That's going to be hard. It's like, well, I, I heard it. I, I heard this guy say that on TV. There was this uh What's her name? Charlotte Alter. It was on Twitter, D. Twitter, you'd be very proud of me. Way to go. Maya sent it to me. All right, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, and um, <laughs> just do that in there. Uh, that Charlotte Alter is a writer for Time Magazine, and she had this long tweet. I don't know why she just didn't write an essay. I mean, when you added up her whole the tweet, it was like one tweet, another tweet, a third tweet. It was like an essay. Why don't you just write an essay? No, no, I'd rather tweet. Anyway, she had a valid point. She's a, a writer for uh, Time Magazine, and she had gone to Kenosha. And she, her basic point, I'm going to be talking about this with Romana, is uh, that most people in the country don't, and she used this word, don't give a shit about the issues. All right? So they're, they're voting for Trump because, I don't know, they like how he cusses out people. They like how he blatantly lies, uh, how he insults people that they don't like. So they don't care if there's a scandal. Uh, they don't care if he breaks the rules. They don't care about the Hatch Act, for instance. It's a law that perhaps that should prevent Trump from doing what he did during the convention uh, and having his employees uh, use their position with public government, with the government uh, to promote a political end, which is Donald Trump's reelection. They don't care about that. So why don't even mention it? They don't care about anything other than the fact that Donald Trump infuriates people like me. And that was her basic point. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a good point. It kind of hurts to say, D. it's kind of a good point. So to pass something like the fair tax is to get people interested in something like how to fund government. I don't know, man. That's hard. They, they'd rather just go, oh, we don't need government. I don't want to pay taxes. Even though you're going to pay less because Ken Griffin's going to pay more. Ken Griffin's buying these commercials to convince you that somehow or other you're going to pay more when, in fact, if the fair tax passes, you're going to pay less. But I don't care. I don't care about that. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he grabs women by the pee. Yeah, that's how I'm, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he says these countries are shithole countries. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, because because he tells it from like it is. So, you know, so I, Charlotte Alter may have a good point. D, and I, 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 I fight this cynicism. 
I really do want to believe, Frank, that you're absolutely correct, and I will be eating crow or Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever it is uh, come the day after the election. What would that be, November 4th? Because the fair tax passes. Because I really do believe the state of Illinois needs the fair tax. Progressive taxation is a, a theme I've been sounding for years. But, man, when I ran that Andy Shaw column, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. That too, Andy. You too, huh? God, I don't know, Dean. It's an uphill battle. Let's just put it that way. Hey, can we hear that uh, impression of a cat being let out of the bag again? Oh, here we go. The cat. <laughs> Let the cat out of the bag. That's some good Friday podcasting right there. (laughs) All right, moving on. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Mm, I don't know. Shout out to that's the, a great question, isn't it, D? Shout that out to the really shout out to the Chicago Tribune's Gregory Pratt for this story. Yes, once again, we're reading a Tribune story. Shh, don't tell the Sun Times. <laughs> the headline reads: Lightfoot reacts to Trump threat to cut federal funding for Democratic-led cities. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Thursday ripped the latest White House threat to cut federal funding for Democratic-run big cities, calling it "quote." nonsense meant to shore up Republican President Donald Trump's political support in an election year while promising to sue his administration if it pursues the city's money. We have a quote from Lightfoot. Lightfoot said, quote, if the president and his team are foolish enough to think they can unilaterally cut off our funding because we are not bending to his will as if he's an emperor and not a president who is responsible to the people, once again, we will see him in court and we will win. When we win, we will make him pay for what his foolishness has brought to the city of Chicago. Lori then took to Twitter, sending a message to Trump. Here's the tweet from Lori. If at real Donald Trump wanted, quote, law and order, he'd start with the White House. 1,000 people died daily from his failure on the pandemic. Instead of taking ownership, he chooses to play politics with lives. Yes. D, I would say that she ripped Donald Trump like this. You are bringing it on the on the sound effects huh? today. Huh? She ripped them. Just like I ripped that piece of paper. Ben, here's this glass bottle. <laughs> I love the glass. You know how you trump my ace again, D? Your glass bottle is better than my... Gotta say, just... Hey, XRT, do you hear that? You know how quick he was? He had that glass but Come on, XRT. And he does love Wilco. I saw a cassette. Wilco's greatest hits. Yeah, a cassette in 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah, I kind of blew that. He had a, a Bluetooth or whatever they call that thing. <laughs> anyway, wasn't it just a few days ago that Lori Lightfoot said, I am going to go, I am going to be Michelle Obama. And I'm going to go high when they go low. Wasn't that right, Dave? Something like that. I mean, she maybe didn't invoke uh, Michelle Obama, but wasn't that what she was saying? Yeah, she said she was going to take a change in political discourse. I guess, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Trump, not so much. Well, I'm happy she changed her mind because this was a conversation I was just having with Ramana Hussein. We'll probably be talking about this as well. Donald Trump fights dirty. Donald Trump gets in the mud. Donald Trump will say absolutely anything he has to say to advance his cause. I don't know what is to be served 
by playing nice with Donald Trump. And I see this happen all the time. Like Donald Trump will rip some governor, usually a Democratic governor, and then the governor will respond by trying to take the high road and saying something like, he's a schoolyard bully and I can't put up with this. And I don't know. It just seems to me that the advantage uh, is to Donald Trump. We'll see. We'll see what happens in this next election. So one of the things I like about Lori Lightfoot is that, uh, yeah, she throws a counterpunch and she throws a hard counterpunch and uh, it hurts when she connects. And I love that F you tweet. Wasn't that a tweet that she made? That wasn't. uh, I have two words to say to Donald Trump and they begin with F and you. Uh, And uh, it took me a while to figure that one out. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, it's a letter U, not just Y-O-U. Anyway, uh, so I, I like it when she does it. And uh, I think most Chicagoans do uh, like that as well. And so I don't think there's any percentage in any way of being nice. And we funny, we had Raylo on the show, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, the Alderman of the 15th Ward, uh, was so kind as to drop in to our show, probably bring him back. And I, I made the point. He said that, uh, you know, Raylo is one of Lori Lightfoot's uh, strongest critics from the right. Raylo's got that little Trump impulse that he's always fighting. Raylo, I'm always I'm gonna give you help, Raymond Lopez. You can work on that. Do some yoga. Breathe. Take some deep breaths. You can conquer that Trump impulse. But he said, you know, Lori Lightfoot's always fighting with Trump. And I said, name one thing that Donald Trump has ever done for Chicago. One thing. Being nice to Trump. What has he done? For Chicago. And Raylo's only response was, well, Chicago got some stimulus money. Well, that had nothing to do with Trump. We're supposed to get that stimulus money anyway. See, that's playing nice. You know what I mean? Well, he gave us the stimulus money. No, we're entitled to that stimulus money like Omaha, Nebraska is or Montgomery, Alabama or Tampa, Florida. I'm thinking of red state cities we're all entitled that's our tax dollars being returned to us because we're in the middle of a crisis it was not some special favor that donald trump did for us so you can't there's nothing being nice to donald trump in chicago has no benefits because here's the deal folks donald trump doesn't care about chicago he knows he's not going to win illinois so he's not going to lift a finger for he's just going to use chicago to bash so yeah if why pretend that Donald Trump is a normal politician who has compassion for people who didn't vote for him. That doesn't work that way with Donald Trump. He's open about who he is. I mean, it goes back to what I said at the start of the show. We all know he said those things uh, about the soldiers who were buried in that cemetery. We all know he threw a little tamper tantrum because he did a temper tantrum because he didn't want to have to go uh, in the storm to uh, pay tribute, to pay respects to soldiers, American soldiers who died, who were sent off to war and died in battle. He, you know, he didn't want to do want to get his hair messed up. He didn't want to inconvenience himself. And so he threw a little temper tantrum and he said all kinds of mean, nasty things. I would have so much respect for him if he owned up to it, but he won't. Now he's he's just like lying some more. So yeah, I don't see any percentage in just trying to play nice with Donald Trump. I have disagreed with Michelle Obama on this point since she said it. When they go low, we go high. I don't see that how, how that's worked for Democrats. I'm still not seeing how it's going to work for Joe Biden in this election either, D. All right. Another news. Okay, here we go. A Sun-Times story. All right. Oh, 
And better yet, a Suntime story on Reefer. And better, better yet, a Suntime story on Reefer from Suntime's Reefer reporter Tommy Two Joint Shuba. The headline reads 75 pot shop licenses to be awarded in lottery. That includes just 21 applicants. Losing firms shocked. State officials announced Thursday the next round of long delayed, thanks coronavirus, and highly sought after cannabis dispensary licenses will be awarded in a lottery later this month. The 21 qualifying applicants for the 75 new licenses were informed after a global accounting firm finished grading 1,667 applications. This is according to the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. All those applicants received perfect scores and qualify as social equity candidates, meaning they were afforded a leg up in the application process as part of the state's efforts to build diversity in an industry dominated by white men. Here's Governor Pritzker's key cannabis advisor and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, Toy Hutchinson. Toy said, quote, we are extremely gratified that every license in this first will in this first round will go to a social equity applicant. Equity has been at the center of this legislation from day one of negotiations as we work to create a system that prioritizes social equity applicants and reinvests revenues in communities hit hardest by the war on drugs. 17 of the qualifying applicants have at least one minority owner, while 13 are majority owned by people of color. This is according to the IDFPR or IDFPR, yeah. Uh, 16 have at least one owner who's a woman. Two thirds of the applicants qualified because at least one person involved has four uh, has has for five of the last 10 years lived in an area that's been disproportionately impacted by past marijuana enforcement. The remaining applicants met other qualifications Four are majority owned by individuals who have been arrested for convicted or an expungable pot offense. Two more are majority owned by applicants with a family member, guardian or dependent that meets that criteria. And another has a workforce that consists mostly of people who would qualify. Yeah, this uh, I found this a, a troubling story. Uh, it, it was um, in the newspaper today, so I, I got to read it and absorb it. And in fact, I called uh, Tom Shuba to ask him about it. Uh, young Tommy Shuba, really one of the hardworking reporters in the city of Chicago. Uh, and as much as uh, I am a big fan of Toy Hutchinson, she used to come on my show all the time when she was a state senator. Uh, a little differently now that she works for Pritzker, she doesn't come on. But uh, as much as I... Uh, respect her and admire her. I think she'd be a great uh, talk show host, by the way. Uh, and as much as I appreciate the efforts J.P. Pritzker has made as our gov uh, governor, I am just really disappointed uh, in this story. You know where I stand on this one, D. For years and years and years, black people got thrown into jail for being caught with reefer. It was the standard excuse that police used when they wanted to arrest a black person for whatever reason. If, if they just wanted to mess with them, that's what the standard use. Meanwhile, white people are smoking reefer freely. And I, I could live with marijuana still being illegal. I could live with it if the police just let everybody smoke it. But that inequity Really, I, I just I, that irritated me more. That upset me more about our whole bizarre attitude toward marijuana than anything else. Our whole hypocritical attitude toward marijuana. That's the one that really, to quote UD, was grinding my gears. And 
I taught, wrote articles about it, columns about it. Oh man, Charlotte Alter, you, you you try to get people interested in something? Try try getting people in about 2010 to care about the fact that black people are getting arrested for something that white people do every day. That is difficult, Charlotte Alter. You think you got it tough getting people, Time Magazine readers, to care about with some scandal in Washington? Try to get white people to care about the fact that black people are getting arrested for something they, the white people, do every day. Does that really bother me? And finally, uh, marijuana was made legal. Cannabis, excuse me. We have our show is always bringing on cannabis people. Lisa Salmon is always uh, lining up great guests for us to have cannabis conversations. It's a booming industry because everybody loves reefer. Many people love it. They can't wait to smoke it. So I was like, all right, finally, finally, a little equity. So the people who were hit the hardest by the so-called phony war on drugs, black people are going to get some licenses to sell marijuana. They're going to get something from it. And then we, it just took forever to get this lottery done. And then most of the people lost the lottery. I don't get this at all. Uh, Vincent Norman, who is a regular on our show, talks a lot about sports and politics. Uh, he had an application. He didn't get it. I'm looking at the paper, Mike, Michael Malcolm. He didn't get it. Uh, I, I, Norbert Pickens, who comes on our show, he didn't get it. And the headline says it. 75 pot shop licenses to be awarded in lottery that included just that includes just 21 applicants. So follow me in this. Follow me in this, folks. If there's 21 applicants and 75 licenses, why don't you first make sure that every applicant gets a license before you have the lottery? I mean, why don't you just take care of that? And then I called Tom Schubel for an answer because Tommy knows everything about reefer. And he pointed out that there's an application fee. So the state was trying to bring in money <laughs> through application fees. So that's why there were so many more applicants because people were applying more than once three, four, five, six times. You can apply on an unlimited at times. You get more opportunities to be picked in the lottery. I'm like, God damn, that's not fair. That, that's not, if you want to make sure that we have some kind of equity uh, and you really want to make sure that black people are getting a license, you should give, if there's 21 applicants and 75 licenses, take care of each applicant and then have the lottery. Anyway, it really irritated me. It's like, what is it going to take to get some uh, justice in this country when it comes to cannabis? Uh, here's what uh, Vincent Norman, he sent me this quote. He says, use this one. All right, Vincent. Uh, Vincent E. Norman, a regular on our show. Governor J.B. Pritzker, who I campaigned for, supposedly created a system that prioritizes social equity applicants. But what really was the priorities? It didn't identify or represent race as one of the deciding factors, but it did identify social equity as one. And that only gave white men who've been convicted by the war on drugs a push to the front of the line. Yes, Vincent Norman, I'm upset too. And uh, it's just not fair, D. What can I tell you? It's just not fair. All right, so there you are. That's our local news. Uh, more local stories coming up after our interview with Ramana Hussein. Once again, check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews available to both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download podcasts. Saturday, Jim Coogan. Sunday, Charlie Meyerson. Monday, SDG. Look, she's going to be honest. Stacy Davis Gates, available at 5 a.m. at uh, 
wherever else you download podcasts, Chicago Sun-Times, and Chicago Reader websites. Follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, Show at Gmail. Dot com And you can call us. That's right. Leave us a voicemail. 708-658-4788. That number again. 708-658-4788. That was my XRT voice, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Ramana Hussain coming up. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in Ben's attic. Don't go anywhere. with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our world. The first cell phone was invented here. So was the first television remote control. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, September 4th is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. When asked what's his favorite portion of the Ben Jarofsky show, Chicago Tribune columnist Eric Zorn said, Ramana Hussein's weekly appearance. That's what he said. He said this is his favorite part. Then he chided me for not having a better sound system. And we upped our sound system. It's perfect now. She's going to sound so good. Ramana Hussein, editor, columnist from the Chicago Sun-Times, weekly guest. God bless her for doing it. Every week since we've been on the air, Ramana Hussein has come on our show, uh, and we love her for it. And every week I give her these assignments She's such a good sport. I'm always sending her articles to read. So here's the assignments. I sent her this whole Twitter thing from Charlotte Alter. Are voters too stupid to understand the issues? I sent her an article in the New York Times about the private conversations, the private racist conversations of Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger. If you wonder what your president says when you weren't listening. Uh, I asked her to think about, can Biden beat Trump appealing to love while Trump is appealing to hate? Can love, like the Beatles say, overcome hate? And finally, the most important issue of our day, Nancy Pelosi haircut gate. The (laughs) right wing is enraged. Don't talk to Johnny Cass about this. He's so mad about Nancy Pelosi haircut gate. So these and many more, we're going to get into Ramana recommendations as well for Ramana Hussein. Ramana, I'm going to allow you to select which one of these topics we go with first. So which one do you want to start with? Um, you want to talk about Nancy Pelosi since your wife is a um, stellar hairdresser in the city? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Thank you for the uh, promotion for my wife, by the way. <laughs> Outstanding hairdresser. Um, all right. Why don't you uh, give a little uh, synopsis of what went down and then give your thoughts on it? Go ahead. So Nancy Pelosi, basically in California right now, um, they're very strict about uh you know, people getting their hair cut. Uh, most hairdress hair salons are closed, from what I understand. And, you know, a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people who are hairstylists, hairdressers, work in that industry have been struggling. Anyway, a few days ago, Nancy Pelosi um, is, there was footage, video footage of Nancy Pelosi coming into a salon um, alone. It, uh, it appears, or what the news is, that she was allowed in the salon by herself. They opened just for her. And I guess she's seen without um, wearing a mask also. I think that was somewhat controversial. Anyway, she got um, her hair cut and a blow dry, I believe. I think she got a color too, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and and then, you know, I think the um, owner of the salon or the woman who gave her the haircut is, um, she might be a Trump supporter and she was on Fox News and, you know, she talked about this. And obviously this um, got a lot of people angry, actually on both sides from what I've read, because some people are saying that, you know, they can't, you know, everybody's dying to get a haircut in California. Um, I know we've had, you know, a lot of people in Chicago 
in Illinois probably were, you know, thinking the same thing when we were on um, pretty much lockdown in March or quarantine shelter in place, as we called it. And so a lot of people felt like, okay, we can't get her haircut. Why can't she get her haircut? And obviously in the city of Chicago, we had the same issue arrive in the form of um, with another uh, official of ours, Lori Lightfoot, who got her haircut after putting out these PSAs telling people to stay in and not, um, you know, they don't need to get there. You know, one of the specific PSAs had, um, it was like these cutesy PSAs of her getting her hair, someone wanting to get their hair colored and she's like, it's not a must. And then she ends up getting a haircut and that, you know, it was called haircut gate for us, or you called it haircut gate. So same thing, same thing with Nancy Pelosi. So it's a, it's a talker right now. And obviously the right is pointing out that, you know, why was she allowed to go in? And then I think they might've been, been pinpointing her on her mask being, you know, not on her, on her nose or her mouth. Yeah. So are you outraged one way or the other? Um, I mean, there's a lot of other things that I'm more outraged about, but I understand. I under, okay, I understand the feeling of people who want to get their haircuts um, because um, you know everybody knows how it feels when your hair is just going uncontrollably long, or you want to get something done with it. So I understand that frustration. I understand the frustration of uh, politicians, you know, bending the rules when it comes to themselves. I understand that frustration. Do I think this is the biggest issue in the world right now, especially given what we've seen in Kenosha and George Floyd? No, I don't think it's the biggest deal. I think it's it's definitely a talker and it's a story that we have to report on. And for people to say that we're not supposed to report on that, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I told you the same thing with Lori Lightfoot. I think it's something to point out to when she was telling people they couldn't get the same, do the same things. They couldn't, you know, you know, upkeep with their appearances, but yet she was doing it. And I understand she's a public official. I understand that part. But, you know, a lot of people like getting their hair cut or getting, you know, a manicure or pedicure just because it makes them feel better. So I can understand that frustration. But do I think it's the biggest news story? Am I going to be talking about this all week? No. I mean, I you had to remind me about this story. So I don't even know if this was happening, but this would not be the number one thing that would outrage me. Well, the, one thing it does relate to is uh, that Twitter feed that I sent you by uh, Charlotte Alter, the Time Magazine writer, uh, because the thing of it is with Lori Lightfoot uh, and, her, and her haircut gate, I do believe she was set up. So the way it works is the person who cut her hair uh, rented the space from the hair shop salon owner and the hair salon owner was the one who went on Fox TV, not the person who cut her hair or, or dyed her hair or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I'm that, like, Oh man, that's a setup. If I ever saw one that's set up like a bowling pin. Yeah. I so. could see, you know what? That's it. That's what I forgot to mention that Nancy Pelosi, her reaction has been that she was set up in this incident. Um, yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying there. It's like, how come the hair, dresser turns out to be a, a trump supporter that's very suspicious i would think um but a lot of people would say like okay but if what if someone else called her and said you know did they call her and say hey do you want a haircut or how did it work that's how i'm wondering how the setup happened did she just call a salon and it just happened to be 
you know, that person or did, did, did she get um, recruited to come to the salon to get her hair? I, I don't know. All I know is that uh, it's still, it's one of those things. Uh, it's a classic rules for the, not for me type story and a rule for the, not to me type story can really infuriate people. As you were pointing out, we're uh, in a, a moment where we're being asked to sacrifice. And one of the people asking us to sacrifice is not exactly sacrificing. So that would infuriate somebody, particularly if you already start with from the assumption that there's no reason to sacrifice, which MAGA nation, they don't believe that the a virus is real. They think it's a hoax. And so when they see something like this, it just grinds their gears. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but the, the thing is, what it relates to sh what Charlotte Alter said and Charlotte Alters, that Time Magazine uh, reporter, is that this is the type of quote unquote issue, and I have it in quotes, uh, that people get motivated by, that inflame passions, because it's so blatantly uh, either hypocritical or a setup. And so it's something that really gets you going. It's easy to understand. Whereas a, a complicated, like the accusation that the Trump uh uh, the, the White House violated the Hatch Act. That's a little confusing for American voters. They can't yeah. quite get it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of people probably don't know what the Hatch Act is. I didn't know what it detailed, but I do, when I don't know about something, I do kind of Google it or research it on my own or ask other people who might know more than I do. But yeah, I, I know what the Hatch Act is after watching the RNC. Um, yeah, I there probably are people who these these types of issues motivate them more um, on a local level. You would think an example of this would be the Jesse Smollett case with Kim Fox, where it's one issue where people are using it to be like, OK, Kim Fox isn't suitable to be a state's attorney because of, you know, what happened with Jesse Smollett. And, you know, there are probably more complicated issues, you know, that you could bring up. But that's the one people bring up because it's pretty easy to understand. I did read this Twitter thread after um, you had alerted me to it. I do think I do think she has a point with some people, but I don't think that's everyone. Um, there's definitely some people who are probably are more political junkies than even I am, but I'm someone who doesn't even consider myself that politically astute, um, even though I, I'm a reporter, so I definitely do pay attention to a lot of this stuff. I don't think I'm someone who studies politics on my off hours that's what i want to say but i do think i don't know there's members of my family who are paying attention to a lot of this stuff um i think maybe she has a point that the average american voter isn't paying attention to this but you would think i know and she pointed out and we pointed out like well trump saying stuff about women we a lot of us reporters will think oh that would make a lot of women mad I would think that that's pretty simple and easy to understand. Trump saying something about a certain, you know, race or religious group um, or ethnic group, I would think that that's, you know, easy enough to understand. You know, Trump Trump making disparaging mark, remarks about soldiers who served in the military and died, making comments about them. I would think that that's simple enough to understand, too. So I think there's a lot of issues that are simple enough to understand. There are some that are more complicated. But I don't think people are just like, OK, I'm just going to think this certain way and 
little things only bother me. I think there's a lot of, I think people are all paying attention. I don't know if everyone is, but there's definitely some people paying attention. Well, I'll read you the exact quote so people uh, can know what we're talking about. Charlotte Alter, uh, this was her tweet. Uh, and it was, and then she went on there like, <laughs> I was just laughing about this. They're like, she added about 12 additions to her tweet. So I was like, why don't you just write an essay? I mean, what, I, I'm a millennial. I want to tweet it. But it's just like, you put together an essay. You know, it's not bad. You had a few good lines in there. It's pretty funny. Just write a regular essay. No, I want to tweet, okay? And so people are like reading the same thing. It's just like they're reading it in smaller chunks. I don't know, man. But you know what? A lot of, that's how a lot of people get their news and they would read, they, they will read that maybe. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I know I sound like an old man. Bad. I know I sound like an old man. I admit it. I admit it. What do you always say to me, uh, uh, Ramana Boomer? Hey, Boomer. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Generation X. Wait, but what is the line? They always go Boomer. Yeah, okay, Boomer. It's oh, okay, Boomer. Charlotte Alter right now is okay, Boomer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, but it's, she has a good points. So I'm, I'm just saying. I it's do. Like, I, I do. I All right, here we go. I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read it, and you need to respond directly. I have spent, this is her, the last three days speaking to almost every person I've seen on the streets in Kenosha and Racine, and folks... I hate to break it to you, but nobody gives a shit about any of the scandals you're tweeting about. It is impossible for me to describe how much they don't give a shit. It's like they give negative shits. It's actually kind of funny. There's this mentality on Twitter that's like, this one huge scandal will sink Trump with this group of voters. And I can conclusively report that this is bullshit. Here's why. Many of the people who tweet about politics assume that voters behave according to a particular logic, like Trump insults women, therefore women will dislike Trump, or Trump breaks the law, therefore law and order, ours will break from him. You think voter logic is like A is greater than B is greater than C is greater than C. In actuality, voter logic is more like A is greater than purple, greater than banana, greater than 18. In other words, there is no logic to it at all. Ramana, as a woman who has spent her lifetime in journalism. What's your response? I like I like I told you, I think she does have a point. There are people that no matter what, they're gonna support Trump, right? Um, it doesn't matter what he says about a certain group or what he says, they're just gonna they're just gonna support him. A lot of people on the right are really strong on military and then, you know, recently there was uh I think there was an Esquire piece, or it could be saying the Atlantic piece, about Trump mentioning um, and calling, you know, soldiers who died while battling, you know, in the battle, or died in war are losers. And I would think that that would outrage people who really care about, you know, better, you know, all of us should, you know, we care about Veterans Day, but people who are really into the military, wouldn't that make people mad? But sometimes, no matter what someone says, they're going to like someone, right? I, I, I don't know. I, I would think that, you know, we talk a lot about cancel culture. And if one person says something, then everybody's like, oh, that guy's canceled. But maybe there's a group of people who don't care if they like someone or they like something. They're never going to they're just going to hold on to it tightly. And I think for some people that that thing could be Donald Trump. It doesn't matter what he says. He's, don't they call him Teflon Don? Yes. So, well, here, here's what I find infuriating about the example you just gave. And it's, uh, yes, you're right, it was Atlantic, Jeffrey Goldberg's article in The Atlantic uh, that quoted four unnamed sources, got a little little issue with the unnamed sources part of it, but four unnamed sources who said uh, Donald Trump 
uh, referred to U.S. soldiers who died in World War I uh, in France as losers, quote. He did not want to go to a ceremony uh, to celebrate, to commemorate uh, these soldiers because it was raining and he didn't want to get his hair wet. Now, look, I can tell you right now, I started the show by saying this, Romana. I absolutely believe he said it. It sounds like something stupid Donald Trump would say. And you know as well as I do, that man is so vain about his freaking comb over that he would like he would not want to get it wet. He's like he if he could put like a. He always makes fun about people who wear masks. Like, oh, what are you afraid of? But he would put like a handkerchief over that comb over. You know what I'm saying? Anything to protect that. So I believe he said it. But what's infuriating is like if I said that or some lefty said it or man, Donald Trump, they don't like soldiers and veterans. You know what I'm saying? And that's what that's what I'm trying to say. It's like if someone likes someone that much, they will. They will just there are certain people like that. So I know I know what this reporter is getting at to some point. Does she mean just people in Kenosha or Milwaukee? Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe this is a general man on the street interview thing. But yeah, like if, if Trump can say anything, I mean, if Barack Obama even said half of the stuff that Trump said, if Barack Obama called soldiers who died in war losers, this would be a bigger story. It would be something that everybody would be tweeting about. Because, you know, it would become a big story because the people on the right would make a big deal about it. But because Trump said it, it is it is newsworthy, but the right is just kind of quiet about it. So yes. it's not it's not it's not getting that much traction. I mean, it's getting traction, but in a different way. I just think that if, you know, someone like Obama said it, um, the right would definitely pounce on it. And then the left would be talking about it, too. So it would be a conversation that everybody would be having. But because the some you know Trump said it, it's kind of you know the right isn't talking about it, and it's just the left talking about it. So the conversation's a little muffled. So yeah, I, I just think that if people really like Donald Trump, it doesn't matter what he says. Yes. He said everything that anybody else. If I said something like that and I was in the White House, I would have been gone on day one. Absolutely, I, I you're you're absolutely correct. I agree with you. I was writing notes when you said that. If you love Donald Trump, you will put up with anything he says, uh, and even if what he says one day contradicts what he says the next day, it's sort of like me. You know, I'm being. I really like Nancy Pelosi, so I'm going to yeah. cut her some slack on Haircut Gate. You know, but I do think she shouldn't have gone and got the haircut. Exactly, because you believe in accountability. And I've always argued about this. I mean, there's people on the left who do the same thing. Um, and, and, you know, there'll be someone who does something wrong and they'll be like, OK, who cares? Big deal. There's other problems. It's the whole thing is, I think all politicians, even if I agree with their political stance, I think they should still be held accountable if they do something that's questionable. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, we're we're saying that, you know. Nancy Pelosi should be held accountable. Was that the right thing to do? Even if she was set up, there are questions to be asked. We're not saying, oh, we don't care. So I just think accountability is important. I, I think no matter where you are in the political spectrum, if you think some, if someone says something that's controversial, does something controversial, I don't think there's anything wrong with holding them accountable, yeah, no matter how much you like them. Uh, I, I agree with you on that one. It hurts, it stings, but you got to do it. All right. Uh, now, Totally related to this, the Trump uh, story is the story that broke in today's New York Times about uh, Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger. When I say it's totally related, I mean this. Uh, Donald Trump 
allegedly said something behind the scenes, uh, very derogatory to uh, soldiers who've been killed. I absolutely positively believe he said it. it sounds like something Donald Trump would say. But the point is, it's the kind of conversation presidents have behind the scene that expose who they really are and how they view the world and the contempt they have for people uh, who are they think are beneath them. And there is more evidence of this uh, in today's New York Times, an essay by a historian, a scholar uh, who finally got access to some tapes recording conversations of President Richard Nixon uh, and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in 1971. Absolutely despicable comments. I, I realize that that 1971 is a long time ago. <laughs> you talk about still... I don't think the statute of limitation has expired, uh, and I, I'm happy that uh, that the that this gentleman wrote this essay. Bass is his name. Wrote the essay in the New York Times. Romana, why don't you lead people through um, what was said? Um, this is during. Um, this is before Bangladesh was created in 1971, and it the the whole. Um, story kind of focuses on, um, I mean, the column focuses on how Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon were talking about, um, you know, the conflict right in between East Pakistan, then known, which is Bangladesh now, and Pakistan, and then India's involvement in everything. that a plane anyway no that's um, the train that's Rahm um, Emanuel driving the pl the train go ahead it's, it just passed anyway they and then they have their discussions about how they feel about it was mostly Indians and then you know Henry Kissinger also took a swipe at Pakistanis at one point and you know Ben I should mention to you when I was a kid I went to Pakistan when I was 12 years old and I you know I didn't know about you know India never had anything that was American and that's because they're allies with Russia and for the longest time, and Pakistan was allies with the United States. So it was the first time I went to Pakistan as a kid. I remember I hated it because I didn't know any of my cousins there. Because I have, even though I'm Indian, most of my cousins are in India. I had a few, in, I have a few relatives in Pakistan and in Bangladesh. And so I went and I hated it. But one thing I liked about it is that they had Coca-Cola. And I didn't understand why they had Coca-Cola. And then my cousins were trying to explain to me. They're like, that's because Pakistan's an ally of the United States. And I don't know what that meant. I was all confused. But anyway, I remember that as a kid. And that was what sticks out in my mind. But anyway, um, they start getting into these, you know, Nixon really seems seems to have hated Indians and it and, and then it went into sexism because he starts talking to Henry Kissinger about how he the, what he feels about Indian women and he basically said quote undoubtedly the most unattractive women in the world are India and then he made comments and then he made comments against Africans you know in comparing the Africans to Indians and he said well at least like Africans have this animal like charm and then you know he goes into this like you know, which is also very racist and their virility. And then he, he made comments about how, um, you know, he doesn't know how Indian people could reproduce. And and then he just basically, you know, talks about how ugly we are for a long time, which I'm sorry to say, but um, I don't think Richard Nixon was a looker himself, <laughs> if I'm going to put my opinion out there. Or but, Henry Kissinger. Yeah, and then Henry Kissinger said something about Pakistans and how, you know, they're like mental 
mentally they're not that bright or some sort of comment about that. But they said Henry Kissinger kind of, they're not sure if he was appeasing Nixon just to, you know, say, hey, yeah, yeah. But he kind of seemed to be nodding in agreement or at least saying, okay, yeah. And I don't know, I'd love to listen to this tape. But I just want to tell you, as soon as you told me about this, and I sent the article to my friends, and, uh, you know, and obviously we're making jokes and kind of saying this is sad. And one of my friends said, you know, my parents talk about the bloodshed in East Pakistan that they saw. And she said, I guess next Nixon fueled it because we, you know, to him, we look gross, you know. And so a lot of people are talking about this thing. And it makes you also wonder, you know, the conflicts we've had, you know, overseas and majority Muslim countries, like what are it? Is it because we're, you know, these certain countries are getting attacked because the presidents don't like the cultures or, you know, the way these people look, it just makes you wonder what is said behind closed doors and what exactly the sentiment that fuels, you know, any sort of conflict. So I don't know. It's definitely, it definitely makes you cringe and just makes you think that, you know, wow. And then, you know, there's, there's sexism in these conversations too, because, you know, Nixon really hated Indira Gandhi. Mm-hmm. She's obviously a female leader, which is something that the United States hasn't had. And Pakistan also had a female leader. And I think Bangladesh did, too. Um, So he, you know, he would I think after meeting with her, he kind of went into, um, you know, how, you know, unattractive he thought Indian women were like after he meets with Indira Gandhi. And I'm thinking to myself. Okay, so when you met with male leaders from different countries, is that what you just talked about? Like, what were what was what are their attractiveness have to do with their ability or, you know, the way they're running their country? It just it's just it's not I I guess a, a lot of us are saying we're not really surprised by these comments, but it still makes you sit back and be like, oh, my God, I can't well, believe you said that. I um. Uh, I have a mini obsession with uh, Richard Nixon. I know uh, you and my husband. Yes, and Bob Dylan. Uh, and Bob, well, okay, yes. Uh, we, well, okay, wait. Let's rephrase that. Uh, <laughs> Mick Dumpke, her husband, and I have a, a mini obsession with Richard Nixon and Bob Dylan. It's not that Bob Dylan has an obsession uh, yeah, with, with Richard guys. Nixon, although he may, for all I know, he might. He might. Uh, he might. Uh, and um, one of the reasons I have this obsession. Uh, is that uh, Richard Nixon was such a fraud. Uh, so he would have this, it, it, very similar to Trump, these these public remarks. And then behind the scenes, he would really let you know what he, what was in his mind, like his diseased brain. And a lot of it, uh, Ramana had to do the fact was, I've said this on the show many times, uh, he was a, a, a drunken insomniac. He would drink a lot, stay up all, la- all night. He wouldn't sleep enough. He was in bad physical shape. And, and, and Kissinger, Henry Kissinger was uh, known as a womanizer. Henry Kissinger always was, was seen dating starlets and stuff. And I so, that. yeah, Nixon had this weird, uh, like, admiration for Kissinger because like, Kissinger was the swinger that Nixon wasn't. And so, like, when he would get together, he would, that's, like, that would open Nixon up. Like, he was trying to impress Kissinger by talking about how ugly women are. You get what I'm saying? And so yeah. like Nixon, Kissinger is supposed to go, yeah, man, she's really ugly. I'm with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like these two weird guys alone yeah. in a room stroking each other. And yeah, it is really weird. And you know what? And honestly, like, I'm not surprised by this sentiment. I mean, I was born in the 70s and I was raised in the 80s. I was telling my husband this. I'm like, me and my friends, even though we're not ugly, I don't think we're ugly. But anyway, 
we were raised we were raised not to think of ourselves as attractive because we weren't blonde and blue eyed that was what was pushed into the mindset so you know that's just the way you know if you're african american ethnic you just were just put in the ugly category that's how it just was so i'm not surprised that this was said but at the same time you're just kind of like so is this how you move your for your, your foreign policy works on based how ugly you think the women are of a certain country it's just i don't know it's it's crazy it, but yeah, it, it's weird. I didn't know Henry Kissinger was a player. Oh, yeah, Henry. Oh, my goodness. That's a whole other story. Uh, and uh, again, I'll just add to this. I call this the um, uh, Seth Rogen factor. Follow me where I'm going with this one. Uh, or the chef uh, John Favreau factor. So in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Seth I know Rogen. Where you're going. Woody Allen, too. Yeah. The, but it's, it's, Seth Rogen. I just like Seth Rogen. I, he's a funny guy. And he's a witty, he's a good writer, but he's, he, I mean, we wouldn't say he's a conventional, handsome human being. No. Uh, and yet, no matter what, in a movie, an absolutely beautiful woman will fall in love with him. And it's like, his looks don't matter at all, because no. there's just something so witty and smart and charismatic. And it's the same thing with Favreau and Chef. Like all these beautiful women are falling in love. I'm like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> the thing and- is, I think that's because it's a man making the movie. Usually that's why, because men like to think that they can look like whatever and women don't care. And yeah, look, nobody's look should matter. But I would like to see a movie, you know, like Woody Allen, like you put put himself in these movies and all these women would be like, oh, dying after him. I never really was a huge fan. I know he's supposed to be great. But um, my whole thing was like, why didn't he ever like, if there was a woman that looked like Woody Allen and then she was playing opposite Brad Pitt, none of the men would ever watch the movie. So it's like men would like to think that they can be schlubs and they'll still be a chick magnet. That's yes, that's the point. That's and that's that's what I thought about. I thought about Seth Rogen, John Favreau, and let's throw Woody Allen in the mix, sitting around talking about women. Uh, when I was reading this uh, transcripts of what Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, as you point, they're, they're not like, you know, Adonis here. Okay. Yeah. And here they are opining. I'm like, uh, do you ever look in a mirror? Hello. So, uh, you know, I'm younger, just, well, it's really funny. And then my younger sister's like, yeah, now all of them want to be Indian too, which is funny. Yeah. Well, that's all five years later. And, and I got to say this. Uh, I did not know until I read this essay as much as I know about Richard Nixon, uh, that he had this bizarre uh, obsessive uh, hatred for Indians. <laughs> I know he had a lot of weird attitude toward Jews. And I've Did read he, a lot. Oh, I'm not my. surprised, yeah. Yeah, a lot. Of, he was always like, is that guy Jewish? See, that's his problem, because like it's a white person, but he could be Jewish, which could explain a lot of things. So he's always, is that guy Jewish? I want you to look, he would have his aides looking to see if various people were Jewish. You know, so like if it was a critic, uh, Abby Hall, oh, he's Jewish. Daniel Ellsberg, oh, he's Jewish. So he had this weird obsession uh, with Jews. I didn't know he had this obsession uh, with Indians. And I know he had really disdain for black people. There's that tape that just came out of Nixon and Reagan. Have you ever heard that tape? Yeah. Talk about I think black I, I people. Think, yeah. Oh yeah. That came out like, I think within like the last year or two. Right. I remember that when that came out. Yeah. Yeah. So I well, just, and the thing is, another friend of mine was saying, she goes, does he mean just brown people like South Asians? Cause it's like, how can you even tell the difference between Indian Pakistanis and Bangladesh? I mean, they're all one state. Sometimes I can tell, like I can tell different religious groups and, 
sometimes there are certain features that are different parts of like you know India or Pakistan or the way they're dressed but it's like does he just mean brown people but I think he specifically meant Indians yeah but and, and the other thing is before we leave is Kissinger always pandering to Nixon yeah and uh because he figured out that's how you play this guy so yeah. you know what I mean uh it's fascinating insights I urge everybody to check it out uh the essay in the New York Times so, uh all right uh before we uh get to your recommendations I have to ask for your thoughts about this um, I'm a little nervous about uh, the upcoming election. I make no secret about the fact that I think uh, Donald Trump is a travesty and a disgrace uh, and must uh, be defeated. Joe Biden was not my first choice, as you know, Romana. Uh, he wasn't not my second choice, third choice or fourth choice, I think. But anyway, he is my choice right now. So he went to Kenosha and he appealed to love. Trump went to Kenosha and he appealed toward hate. Um, I'm nervous because I got a feeling in our country Hate will uh, outweigh love every time. Sorry, John Lennon. I love you dearly, Beatles. Uh, but I, I, think, I love the Beatles. Love the Beatles. Love John Lennon. Always one of my favorites. But so what do you think, Romana? Will love, can love defeat hate? I'd like to think that, but that was when I was younger. I probably did believe all you need is love. But sometimes you need to push. I was also a big fan of Malcolm X, uh, who would say that you need to, I don't know, who kind of expressed how he felt. I think it's good that Joe Biden's going out there. You know, yesterday he went out there and I think he was kind of on a, you know, healing tour, so to speak. Um, you know, he called um, Jacob Blake. That's his name, right? I don't want to make. I don't want to mistake in his name, but, you know, he talked to the victim in, you know, the shooting victim in Kenosha. And then he, you know, went to churches and, you know, he's talking about, you know, love and, you know, probably bringing us together as a whole. And I think that's good. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think there also needs to be um, forceful commentary about what is happening in the country and who our leader is right now. And I think that I think Biden is slowly doing that, but we have two months to the election and it just can't be only love. It's got to be, hey, this needs to stop and it needs to be forceful. That's the way I see it. Yeah, you've been saying that for a while, uh, and I agree with you on that point. Uh, Donald Trump, out of his mind, is always uh, immediately rushed forward to mock Biden for wearing a mask. And I, I, I got to tell you, Wisconsin, if there's anybody in the state of Wisconsin with a brain, come on, guys. He's <laughs> making niece, fun of lives there. Does she have a brain? Yes. Yeah, OK, she does. <laughs> How is she old enough to vote? Yes. And, and, is she, and she's voting. She registered to vote in uh, Wisconsin on purpose. Yes. And, and uh, will she be voting for uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris? Um, I. I can tell you that um, if I'm sure she's okay with me saying she did vote for um, Bernie Sanders the first time. So. All right. I like <laughs> this niece. <laughs> uh, so I, my guess is that's your way of saying, yes, yeah, she's going to vote for yes, Joe Biden. I'm sure. I, I can tell you she's not a Trump supporter. Yeah. Uh, very few uh, Indian Americans for Trump other than those who already work at the White House. Wouldn't you say that's true? Um, no, actually, it's not true, but it's kind of 50-50. Depends. 50-50? Well, it's a little it's a more complicated because there are people who support Modi and the BJP. They're more they're more likely to be Trump supporters. Yes, Indians, but Indians are more likely not 50 50 Indians are more likely to vote for South Asians are most likely to vote for um, most likely to vote Democrat. But there is a good number of Indians who did vote for Trump. Not 30 percent. Not, not, not people of my ilk, 
necessarily who are Muslim, but there are other um, religious groups who are Indian. Okay, fair enough. So 70 to 30. All right. I'll send you um, an article about it. Yeah. Uh, but I just like, this is a minor, I want to move on to your recommendation, but this is the irritation. Like, if let's say it's 70 to 30. Let's say that's what it is. Okay. And then, well, he's got 30% of the vote, but that's nothing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they make such a big deal about the 30%. Well, what about the 70%? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the same thing with black voters. Well, he's got a, he's he's yeah. up to three percent of the black vote. Whoa! What about the ninety-seven percent? Well, three percent and thirty percent are completely different. That is correct. You're right. I was not good at math, but you're right <laughs> about that. Either Even I know that. All right, uh, Romana's recommendations. Uh, what you got uh, in store for us? So um, I binge watched earlier this week. Um, I may destroy you. It's an HBO uh, uh, dark comedy. Um, as I was mentioning, your daughters have probably heard of it because it's a very millennial uh, dark comedy show. I'm probably pronouncing this woman's uh, name wrong, but the woman who created the show is um, she's a daughter of um, she's a daughter of immigrants from Ghana. Her name is Michaela Cole. I could be pronouncing it wrong. But it basically the show is about this woman who gets raped and it's how she's recovering from the rape. But while she's recovering, there's a lot of discussions on or at least, you know, they're trying to show, um, you know, examples of, you know, the rape culture. And it's kind of, you know, they talk about there, there's discussions on race, too, and cancel culture and, um, you know, Me Too and all the, you know, there's rape and there's a lot of things in between, but there's a lot of good. I, I, th- I think it's a very poignant show, even though I can't relate to the kids because their lifestyle is completely different than mine. But there were parts of the show as a woman that I could definitely relate to. Um, I think I'm sure your daughters have heard of it. So if you mention I May Destroy You, um, I think they would like it. it. It's a really good show. And I, I'm sure more women are. I would think from what I've seen on Twitter, I do follow Twitter too. Um, I've seen a lot of women talking about it um, and some men, but I think it's a lot of women are watching, but I do think it's a show that men need to watch too, just because, you know, it is very eye opening and there's a lot of good questions. I think it presents. So I don't know. I think if you ever use my HBO password, (laughs) I would like to see, I would like to see what you have to say about this show. Um, I promise you I will watch Pose because I'm always thinking one day I'm just going to start it. So I am definitely going to watch Pose. So uh-huh. if you watch the show, I'll definitely watch Pose. All right. Here's the what kind of deal. Uh, off air, I'll get that HBO password, which we've been talking about for a while. And I urge you to watch Pose. Pose is my uh, favorite uh, that I've watched. I love it. Ryan Murphy's show. I just, it's on Netflix. I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, and I just finished watching killing eve the first season of killing eve i heard i heard it's a great show i want to see it too i haven't seen it yet okay well i gotta tell you i've compulsively watched it so everything i'm about to say let's keep that up front i started i couldn't stop and it's nerve-wracking it's really well made uh this it's just the tension builds in every episode then so in in that regard it's like eating M&Ms, you can't stop, all right? Yeah. Um, that said, when it was all said and done, I thought it was one of the dumbest shows I'd ever seen, and I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed how much I liked it. But the level of violence in this show, and Ramana, I mentioned this to you in passing. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. It, the show involves uh, two women who are basically chasing after each other, and one is a psychopathic murderer, 
who feels absolutely no remorse or guilt whatsoever about slaughtering. And they set her up as a super evil villain. You know, one of those like Batman type villains that's unbeatable, smarter, stronger, better. You could send like 20 soldiers with guns in and when it's all that... They'll all be dead and she'll be alive. All right. So it's like I said, it's kind of stupid. But I'm like, I don't understand why women love this show so much. You know, I mean, it's like this woman is slaughtering people. Go. Your thoughts. I told you it's because they actually have strong female characters and they're probably fleshed out more than, you know, characters that men write. So I think that's what it is. I know we've talked about Tarantino. The thing is, Tarantino, except for Kill Bill, usually the female characters he has are very flat and two-dimensional. So I think that's what women like about it. Um, I was actually recommended the show by a colleague at work at the Sun-Times, and he told me that I would like it because they had strong female characters. So I think that's probably what it is. Like, the women are like, okay, fine, we can can suspend, um, you know, suspend any logic and watch this woman like kill all these people but they probably have some you know the characters are probably more nuanced and more fleshed out than if a man would write characters there's this twitter account on um on twitter (laughs) which is basically um it's this thing called men writing female characters and they take excerpts from books about men describing women and female characters and it and everybody just makes fun of the way men present women in their um, works of art. So that's what I think it is. Hmm. When they watch Tarantino, they're like, okay, this is just violent. And then, you know, then they have, he has a woman come in and, you know, she shows her feet on screen for like five seconds and then it's gone. So I think that's what it is. All right. That little editorialist side is a swipe uh, (laughs) that Romana made at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One of my favorite movies of all time. But I'm going to be bigger than that. I'm just going to let that swipe go and not respond. Tarantino shows feet and female women's feet, uh, women's feet in all his movies. In defense of in defense of QT, he shows men's feet as well. Uh, Lots of close ups of Brad. Uh, Pitt's feet in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? Just... I don't remember his feet. I just remember his take him taking off his shirt. I remember that was a gratuitous, but it was fine. Uh, and, uh, you know what? I sit corrected. His moccasins. So <laughs> Tarantino had a thing about Brad Pitt's moccasins that he was wearing. Uh, but anyway, I'm just strictly talking about the violence in Killing Eve. But yeah. you know what? I really, I'm going to watch... Uh, I may destroy you. You're going to watch Killing Eve. And I'm going to have to work this into, uh, I told you I'm watching basketball. I'm just utterly obsessed with the NBA right now. So I don't know how I'm, my busy watching. Plus, I'm up all night reading. So I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, Ramana. Have you started CAST yet? C-A-S-T-E? No, uh, I haven't. Yeah. I got to read the book. It's... I got I to gotta get the book first before I read it. So I'm finishing uh-uh. up my Malcolm X book. So after that, maybe that'll be my next book. All right, I may have to send you another book, uh, Ramana Hussein, uh, in appreciation every week on my show. I can't thank you enough. And you're such a good sport. She reads all these things I send her. Read this, read that. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, Ramana. It's fun. Thank you for having me. It is fun. Ramana Hussein, uh, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay, bye. That's the great Ramana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times. Do you got any updates for us before we head out that door? Ramana. Ramana. She's awesome. Eric Zorn's favorite part of the show.
Shout out to EZ. How about that sound, too, huh, buddy? All That's right. Eric's second favorite part of the show, the sound. Ben, the sound in your show is exquisite. Uh, we can never <laughs> let anything go, can we? All right. No, that's not, I'm not known for that. 20 <laughs> years writing about tips, T. 20 years. Okay. All right, we got two updates here. Uh, one, some sad news. Uh, this comes from the Sun-Times and Stefano Esposito. Uh, Reverend Leon Finney, longtime power player in city politics, he has passed away. Uh, it says here, Reverend Leon Finney Jr., longtime power player in Chicago, has passed away. He died Friday morning at the University of Chicago Medical Center after a long-term illness. Uh, Dr. Finney's rich history with two, the Woodlawn Organization and the Woodlawn Area, along with Bishop Arthur Brazer, uh, left a deep imprint in that area of all they sought to continue to try to develop and fight for it. Uh, ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? <laughs> Wow, you caught me off guard with this one. Leon Finney, um, well, you know, uh, I wish to try to say something nice I'm, when someone dies. Uh, Leon Finney and I are just, let's be honest, we're on the opposite sides of the political fence uh, for most of this century. Uh, he was a, a close supporter and ally of Mayor Richard M. Daley uh, and Rahm Emanuel, and I, of course, was a critic of uh, both. So we're on the opposite sides of the fence. But way back when in the 60s, uh, he was a young disciple of Saul Alinsky, the great community organizer, and he helped build the Woodlawn organization. And that was a very important institution uh, in the empowerment of the black community in the South Side, just south of the University of Chicago. Uh, and they used to do all kinds of grassroots organizing efforts against the University of Chicago, using the University of Chicago in a prototypical Alinsky organization style fashion uh, as sort of the boogeyman, the poster child, or everything that's wrong uh, with uh, the city's policies, uh, urban renewal policies. So I give him a lot of credit uh, for being an uh, outspoken activist uh, in that endeavor. And I remember when I first came to Chicago, he was gracious enough to sit down and be interviewed by this little nothing reporter uh, who nobody knew. And, uh, no, you know, uh, I didn't have a calling card or anything. Uh, <laughs> As I recall, we got into an argument. Uh, well, there's a big surprise. It was a, it was a good argument, you know, a discussion. And uh, so the last time I talked to him, I remember we were still teasing each other and arguing. That would have been uh, having to do with a school issue with uh, Mayor Richard M. Daley. He was supporting Mayor Richard M. Daley. So anyway, he was a worthy adversary. I'll just put it at that. And uh, condolences to his family. All right, and let's end it out here with a story from the one and only Fran, the Woe Man Spielman. By the way, the latest Fran Spielman show is available at the Chicago Sun-Times website or wherever else you download podcasts. This week's episode is with Chicago City Budget Director Susie Park and Chief Financial Officer Ginny Huang uh, Bennett talking Mayor Lightfoot's 2021 budget and uh, what the hell the plan is after the pandemic. All right. Uh, Fran Spielman writes, Chicago Alderman on Thursday begrudgingly agreed to pay $3.8 million to a veteran police officer who was transferred to a midnight shift patrolling what she called a, quote, unsafe neighborhood after reporting that a fellow officer had verbally and physically threatened her at work. Indicted Alderman Edward Burger King Burke of the 14th Ward. <laughs> was incredulous man i have so many thoughts about this story i was uh, thinking about talking about it earlier in the day uh but then i decided to go with donald trump uh first of all ed burke being incredulous i'm laughing at that <laughs> 
Uh, Ed Burke was the finance chair for years and years. Uh, he knows how the game go is played in Chicago, and he was uh, he'd be the guy who would be greenlighting the approval of all kinds of settlements uh, for deals like this. So I don't think he'd be surprised by anything he saw. Uh, here's the deal: uh, this uh, police officer uh, Kubiak, I believe, is her name. Doing this off the top of my head, uh, was uh, was punished for something she said. Uh, and it's very obvious that she was punished. It was a vindictive act by their supervisors at the police department because she, uh, she spoke the truth, I guess. Uh, and uh, for Edberg to act like he's stunned by this, I mean, this is the way it goes in Chicago. And this is this is just, just part of the Chicago culture. Uh, you're not supposed to speak out. You're not supposed to uh, state the obvious. You're supposed to go along with whatever the powers that be uh, tell you. If they say X today, you got to say X. If they flip it and say Y tomorrow, you got to say Y. And you don't ask questions. And that that's why I've had such a hard time finding my way in Chicago because I'm a contrarian by nature and I go the opposite way. And I think, Dennis, you're the same way. So no, I'm not. we found each other. <laughs> see what I did there? That, that, was, that was real. That, see that? Hey, XRT, did you see that? Did you see how quick he is on his feet? Coming up, Peter Gabriel and <laughs> the police. Surprise. So anyway, uh, yeah. She got punished. She filed suit. And now they're paying $3.8 million. And Ed Burke is shocked. Shocked, I tell you. This is the city. This is the same city that had that video of Jason Van Dyke shooting with Kwame McDonald. said, I don't think uh, we want anyone to see this. We'll bury this. Could you imagine how history would be different would be if that judge uh, had not ruled against Rahm Emanuel and that Freedom of Information Act request. I don't know what the history, but someday I think about that. So anyway, yes, City of Chicago is all about shutting up, getting in line and doing what they tell you, even if what they tell you today contradicts what they told you yesterday. And in this case, it's going to cost the taxpayers $3.8 million. And I got to tell you, D, I'm, well, I don't like spending $3.8 million but uh, I just feel as though this this mentality that we have uh, in the city is hurting us. This just fall in line mentality is really hurting us. It has uh, hurt us for many years. And the notion of an all powerful boss being necessary uh, to keep the city in order, I think, is fraudulent. And I think it does a disservice to the people of Chicago. So that's what I think about that story. All right. And that's it, everybody. Make sure to follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, both Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. You can call us 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. And of course, be sure to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews, Jim Coogan on Saturday, Charlie Meyerson on Sunday, and the one and only SDG Stacey Davis Gates on Monday. Available at 5 a.m. on each of those days at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Come on, man. All right. Yeah, come on, man. All right, I'm going to go downstairs, have a sandwich, and fortify myself for the do those interviews. Uh, before I do that, I want to thank Ramana Hussein for coming on the show and doing an outstanding job. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all in the Lord, without whom this show would be possible. And as Ramana Hussein will tell you, back home in Alton, 
They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.